What's up, hysterical people? I'm so excited to bring you the second half of my conversation with Dr. Deshaun Taylor, abortion care provider, reproductive justice advocate, and all-around amazing person. So I hope you heard the first half, and now we're going to delve more deeply into LGBTQ issues as well as racism, and ultimately what we as citizens in this country can do about it in addition to voting. So buckle up for the second half of my conversation with Dr. Deshaun. To be a true participant in this movement in an authentic way, you have to see where those intersections are. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I had my own abortion, so I am in that reproductive movement, if you will. But I also now am part of, I feel, a larger community where I don't particularly have the label, but I support LGBTQIA+. And especially with when it comes to bodily autonomy, I feel so much more like close to trans people out there who are really being oppressed. Literally, their existence is being challenged in the courts and all of these crazy uh, laws that people are putting through in the states. And I've been following the reproductive laws that are or, or the bans and, you know, that they're trying to push through and and horrified. But it's almost double that number of the different LGBT oppression type uh, legislation that's being put through at all these different states. And so, yeah, I, I, even though gay marriage is protected now, I think that the LGBTQIA plus community still is so much more oppressed in that way with both reproductive challenges as well as um, all of the other laws just challenging their existence. But we haven't talked about really to that level racism, because of course you also outline or summarize a lot, all of the different kinds of ways that both before and after somebody might give birth, um, you know, that they might have challenges, um, you know, be if they're a minority. And let's talk a little bit about the, um, the history. I mean, you really went into kind of forced sterilizations and some of the stuff that happened in slavery, and then was brought into in the 20th century. And then now, even after civil rights, what we're still going through. So when I I like to frame my discussions about abortion in root that in the understanding that reproductive oppression is what we're dealing with. And people of color have, especially Black people in this country, have undergone significant atrocities over the course of time that continue to this day. And to not recognize this and really try to work toward dismantling the systems that have allowed these things to happen is really doing a disservice to the repro movement. A lot of the inequities that we see in healthcare in general, and especially in the people who are most uh, harmed by abortion bans, where we have advocates use in talking points all the time, but ultimately are not committed to being anti-racist and dismantling white supremacy and in, in these systems of oppression that continue to exist to this day. There has to be a commitment to understanding this history and thinking about how it impacts what we're seeing today. So enslaved women 
had no agency over their bodies. And literally their bodies were used to create a product that brought money to the people who owned them. And so when you think about that in light of the modern, well, before we started to have more people understanding that reproductive justice is the way forward and that reproductive rights movement that developed where people were fighting for the right to have abortions, again, you had Black women fighting for the right to actually have and keep their own children because of this historical context here. And then you go from, in, once slavery was abolished, then you go into Jim Crow and these eugenical sterilization practices where for all types of reasons, black women and other women of color were being sterilized against their knowledge. Um, experimentation with uh, birth control, people were having IUDs placed and implants and getting the depo provera shot, not quite understanding. Um, what the impacts were, like government programs were available for people to have IUDs and implants placed, but then weren't available. Those same resources were not available for people to have those removed if they decided that they didn't like them or when they were ready to um, expand their families. So although these were technically reversible, it still impacted people's fertility because they couldn't find any way to get these things out. And so those practices, there creates a level of distrust mm -hmm with the medical system. And so when we're saying, when we're having these conversations, we're saying, well, she should have just used birth control. Well, are you, we don't know what type of conversations or relationships that people have had with the people they've interacted with in the healthcare system to have the conversation in the right way to help people understand how birth control can be helpful to them and not harmful. Eugenical sterilization was being practiced, practiced in almost every single state in the country. And it was officially stopped in 1977. So there are people alive today who may have experienced that or at least are very well connected within a generation of someone who potentially was impacted by this, this practice. That's awful. I had no idea that it lasted that. I mean, that it was even going on for that long. That's just crazy. Um, but I guess now looking at what they're still trying to do with other, maybe not sterilization but with sex ed and all these crazy laws that we were just talking about um I guess I shouldn't be as surprised right I mean it's kind of it's sort of shocking but not surprising I guess is the term so it's rinse and repeat it, it, it it's it's yeah. a similar concept but being repackaged differently I mean we see this we saw this with the whistleblower for the asylum seekers who were getting hysterectomies likely unnecessarily and not understanding that their uteri were being removed. And so, you know, that's super modern day. Like that happened last year, I believe. So this is, again, it's rinse and repeat. It's the same. If we don't understand the tactics that were have been used historically, then it gets repackaged and used against another uh, set of people who have been othered. Right. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, speaking of, we were talking briefly about sex ed and as far as disinformation or lack of information, I guess you could argue um, that's concerning. And you do speak about that or write about that a little bit in the book. Um, and the, my favorite quote, I think of the entire book is this one right here that I wrote down. So I'm just going to say it, but it's your, these are your words. 
It's ironic that many of the same people who believe a zygote is a fully formed independent person also believe that kids are their property with no rights of their own to accurate scientific fact-based education. And that is so like, ah, just makes me want to scream. Um, so anyway, that's brilliant. I'll put that in the notes. Um, it's in the book and I'm not sure which chapter towards the end, I think. Yeah. That is brilliant. It's in the, yeah, right. it's in the empowered future. In the empowered future. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, that's just one example of the hypocrisy, right? Of these people who, you know, don't take my gun, but you know, you can have control over all the people with uteruses in the country and, and get to dictate when and when, where they can procreate. So beautiful. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, cause I think the other thing that really struck me, I'm kind of, a, I mean, I'm basically an atheist now. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm a proud atheist. So what I love about where you even started the book is you really aren't shying away from the religion and the, you know, kind of Christian Catholic conservative influence in the anti-abortion movement and you are a christian practicing physician and i loved um, maybe to talk a little bit about how you you briefly touched on it earlier how you're meeting your patients where they are but let's talk about the experience when somebody is really religious deeply religious and conflicted and how you approach that those patients because i love that so about 60 percent who have abortions have a faith so they have their faith, but they have an abortion despite that. And, you know, as a Christian myself, then I have more of a slant on discussing Christianity, but also too, a lot of the rhetoric we see around abortion is steeped in Christian nationalism, white evangelical Christian belief systems. And what I have found is the people who are most conflicted actually are not very religious. So the people who actually are religious, we act, we have conversations that help them reconcile their faith with their decision. Because those of us who are faithful understand that there are some general principles that we believe that God forgives. If you're Catholic, you're supposed to be able to repent that you are redeemed, that any sin that you had previously committed is washed away, et cetera, et cetera. So those are some basic tenets around Christianity, honestly. So when people are actually deeply spiritual, then we can have a conversation that gets them to a place where they are like, you know, this decision makes sense and they're reconciled. What I've found is people who are not necessarily religious themselves, but they have determined that there are people in their lives who are in our moral authorities, and they are more concerned about their judgment right. than what God would actually do. In those people, I, I, have them, I have more difficult discussions with because they don't truly have a faith practice. So they can't rely on, you know, I talk about in the book where, you know, I go within myself and I pray and I meditate and, and I can make some decisions based on the comfort of that. But if somebody actually doesn't have a faith then they really can't do that. So now what we're dealing with is all of these external societal messages 
that the person has internalized and in our persecuting themselves with. And so I still try to address these things about, am I going to hell? First, you have to believe that abortion is an ultimate sin somehow that you cannot be redeemed from, which is wild, right? Because we can have somebody on death row who can repent and give their lives to the Lord and possibly not have eternal damnation once right. they are strapped into the electrical chair. But a person can't have that same grace because they had an abortion. Like, why is that? And so, you know, that's, that's where we're getting into here is that the misogyny of it all, right? Like that's it, it, it really like when you start to, get deep into those type of conversations you're seeing the patriarchy and misogyny that's steeped in these religious values that make your so-called sin of abortion like the worst possible thing you can do not that i had early on in my career when i did my fellowship and family planning i had a catholic woman who shared this with me and it will always stay with me she said there is something in catholicism there's a statement saying around taking food from the mouths of your children and that's not acceptable. And so for her, she reconciled her decision to have that abortion because she already had children at home whose mouths needed to be fed and that she would be taken away from the mouths of the children she already had by having this child. And so she was fine in her decision. Like she had reconciled it. She found a tenant in her religious faith to make her feel okay. And I was like, oh, I will never forget this. And I share this a lot because it's, it really is when people actually are spiritual, they, they innately know that they have free will mm -hmm. and that God wouldn't put a decision before them that was not theirs to make. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people who, as soon as they're pregnant, they know they're going to have a baby. They don't even think about it. They don't even think about whether they would have an abortion or not. So that decision was never before them. And therefore that was not a decision that they were ever going to make. And so yeah. I tell people, I'm like, if it was never part of what you were supposed to ever do was to consider having an abortion, you wouldn't be here. And so that part of it is extremely important. Like people cherry pick the parts of religion to control and damn people. Right. But we don't look at the whole point of, the practice is to uplift and inspire and give people hope. And so the formal practice of religion is very oppressive, right? Right. And so these are the things that we're deconstructing when we're having conversations with people who are particularly distraught about their decision. And most people are able to get on the other side of that and say, okay, yeah, I, I, I am I am good with my decision. Like I'm not going to, most people once they've had an abortion are going to feel relief right. that, you know, that they've made the decision they've executed. And now that they're going to go on with their lives and, and deal with all the other important things in their lives that they they need to deal with. Yeah, that's great. I love that you are able to meet everybody where, where they are. That's wonderful. We're running low on time and I want to make sure we talk about some of the amazing call to action, the suggestions that you have. For everybody, um, obviously, everyone's going to vote. We're going to assume that, but maybe we shouldn't assume that. Everyone's going to vote. Make sure you vote. But in addition, I think you really have some really great ideas of ways that people can help. And 
be part of the movement. So can you just talk a little bit about some ideas to share? So one of the things that in conversations that I've had with people, you know, people have varying abilities in terms of like physical abilities. And then people have various resources in terms of time and money. And then, you know, there's the issue of geography. And so I think that I, I like to talk about this in terms of everyone has a lane, find yours. And one of the first things is we are living in a moment where we just have to be engaged. Like go on other times where people can say, I don't do politics. It, you know, our existence is political. The fact that we are here and our rights are being taken away from us is political. And we, and we want to be part of the future that we want to see. And so some basic things that, I, that I've asked people to do is when you're talking about abortion, say the word abortion. Mm -hmm. You don't use all type of constellations of phrases and things when you actually mean abortion. Because just saying the word abortion goes such a long way. It signals to people that you are a safe person that they can talk to about abortion in general or their own abortion. That is huge. Say the word abortion. The other piece of this is yes, vote. But I want to say that going on these days where people are like talking about vote blue, no matter who, we have a pro-life Democrat in our legislature in, in Arizona right now. And so, you know, we want to be able to be informed when we're going to the voting booth. And so the way to do that is to find the reproductive justice organizations uh, close to you and plug in with them, get on their mailing list, uh, pay attention to the events that they're doing so you can like educate yourself and be informed on the issues and who you can be um, counting on to give you information you need to be able to vote the right way at the voting booth. You know, you may not be able to go out to rallies, but honestly, you know, people rally and then still go vote wrong. So that's that's kind of performative to me. But like if you, you know, know who your independent abortion provider is, like three in five people who have abortions have abortions at an independent abortion clinic, find out who your independent provider is, see how you can be helpful to them. The other thing is if you, you know, are at home, like you don't trout, you can't leave your home. Uh, you can phone bank, you can write letters, you can write postcards, you can get plugged in in a way where you're still outreaching without physically having to leave your house. Yeah. The other piece is having conversations, like not shying away from difficult conversations. Now I will say you want to engage wisely like there are going to be some people where it becomes quite obvious that the conversation is going nowhere and we don't want you to like you know put yourself in that position to throw all this energy and feel you know, feel tired after talking to somebody who is never gonna where it's never gonna matter but I will say that um author Katha Pollitt referred to a group of people uh, Americans called the muddled middle like they they are not anti-abortion they kind of believe that people should have the right to abortion, but, you know, they're just not have formed a real opinion to actually go out and advocate. And so those are the people who can be reached potentially. And so people who are on the fence haven't quite made a decision. And so your willingness to be vocal and fill that vacuum, like 
folks who believe that people should be able to make a decision to have an abortion and then get one, those people should speak about it because in the absence of those voices, it's getting filled by people who are a very minority of us who are providing blatantly false information. Yeah. And so we we want to be able to amplify our message, which is the message that majority of Americans believe. And what is great about the book is that at the end of each chapter, we have, you know, these talking points, these myths and realities to, to help you give people language on how to respond to some of these sticking points. It's really well done. This is the myths for those on YouTube. You can see just nice summaries at the end. It's very, very well done. And yeah, if you just take all the ending of each chapter and yeah that would be like a nice article you could even just do as a summary it's a little bit shorter it's really really wonderful i hope everybody gets the book undo burden i'll put a link um i assume you have it on your website or or people can purchase it on your website so i'll make sure i have a link on there um you can donate to um dr taylor's uh, nonprofit and um, help her continue to train abortion providers as well as continue to provide abortion care in a battleground state, which who knows? So you are, you're, you're on with abortions right now, right? I noticed yeah. you at one point you had stopped because it was a bit confusing, the legislation. So, and I don't blame you. I mean, it's so, I mean, the fact that you're still there navigating these crazy times is um, you're just, you're just, you're my hero. You're everybody's hero. Um, Thank you. Wonderful. One final thing. I know you were talking about this. I think a little bit you alluded to in the book. You really, I think you made it clear that it's it's probably good to be a little bit of a keyboard warrior troll if you're in a long thread and you know a lot of people are going to see it. That maybe you know don't spend all your time running around social media, put it, you know putting down the trolls. But it's maybe okay to every now and again make a comment when you're putting down some of this misinformation and making sure that it's clear. I did that a lot during the pandemic with respect to vaccines because I'm a scientist. And I was really mad that there was so much disinformation out there. Um, and yeah, we still need to do that. Or now we need to do it for a different reason because of the state by state um, craziness. So yeah, I will say there's a lot of fake news. And so yeah. when you come across the fake news and you can actually provide accurate information, if there appears to be an audience, even if there's like a ton of likes and not comments, like you know that people are lurking. And, and there is an opportunity to to educate people. I would say uh, jump into those. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Well, Dr. Deshaun, I, I call you Dr. Deshaun. Um, this has been so amazing. I'm really excited to meet you again in person um, at your gala fundraiser later this month. So that'll be really fun and exciting. And um, I suppose a link for people to donate would be um, appropriate. And to make sure you get all the love that you deserve and all people who want to support you are able to help the cause. And again, this book is amazing. Everybody get it. Undo Burden. Is it available in like... So it is available anywhere you purchase books online, um, paperback and Kindle. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, I appreciate all of your hard work and, um, and the fact that you are multitasking and doing so many different wonderful things to help and able to help share all of that wonderful stuff with us today. So thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
and stay hysterical, everybody. We are the universe. the world.